Welcome back to the Better Men, Better Ball Player podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. And I would like again to welcome or welcome back to our podcast. And this is a podcast about creating better men and better ball players. Better men to help grow our game, better ball players to continue to help take to the next level. Not only are we helping to develop the physical side of the ball player, but also the mental side. Because as we create better men, we in turn, as a result, create a better ball player. And today you'll hear that same message coming from Tyler Gillum. He's our special guest today. We get a chance to have an interview with him. And he is the current assistant coach at South Mountain Community College in Phoenix, Arizona, where he is also where he's a full-time faculty member, part of the exercise and wellness teams. He's also the head coach of the Savannah Bananas in the Coastal Plain League and the current co-host of the Infield Weekly podcast, Infield U. If you haven't listened to that, I highly recommend it, especially for those who either want to know more about coaching infield or people who are just trying to refine their infield skills. It's a great place to go. You can find him on Coach Gillum on Twitter, or you can look up Coach Clay Cox. Both of those guys um, can steer in the right direction. But he's also the creator of the Growth Toolbox, something he does at South Mountain Community College, and we dive into some details about that Growth Toolbox. He used to call it Growth U, and again, it's just one piece of how he's helping mold better men and what he talks about prehabbing a lot of issues that we sometimes have in our program. He's currently currently enrolling, uh, currently enrolled and trying to complete a doctorate in education through the universe, United States Sports Academy, as well as um, he is really known for or has presented many times on the Green Light Special. Uh, it's really his base running system. In 2016, he South Mountain led all JUCO in stolen bases. 2018, the Bananas. Led the Coastal Plain League in solo bases. He was on the when he coached in the Cape Cod League. His team was on the top in stolen bases as well as uh, records in the Texas Collegiate League, where he stole 161 bases in a season. Um, as a player, he was a part of a four-time state championship team in Oklahoma. He played at Seminole State Junior College and finished playing his at East Central University, where he had his bachelor's and master's degree, but. Coach Tyler Gillum is an absolute rock star in cowboy boots. That is who he is. He's a awesome guy. You see, he's extremely vulnerable, um, authentic, very smart, true leader, leads by example. And we get into things like his growth toolbox and how he's helping mold that man. He talks about molding them into the nine areas of his life. They call it RE1 through 9 at South Mountain. One through nine, as in the lineup, but as well as the one first through ninth area of their life. Gets into his green light special, his base running. Loves talking infield. We talk some infield. Um, talk communication about being a good coach, what it means to be an assistant coach, and just just so much, just so much more. And how to even mold your team even closer together. We get into some of that. There's just all the different types of nuggets in there. I'm hoping that you can you would take away with and use. And um, if you have any questions or you want to reach out to him, uh, he'd be happy to talk to you. I know that's just how I was when I reached out to him. He's quick to answer and share anything he can. You can find him on Twitter at Gillum13. That's G-I-L-L-U-M 13. His email is tyler.gillum at southmountaincc.edu. 
in the podcast, he talks about his, he gives out his cell phone number, and as well as he has a website, www.gillumbaseball.com. So please check all those things out. Share this episode. Uh, there's so much information here. We have a great conversation, and each time we think it might be wrapping up, we then go a different avenue, and we just continue to just have a great, authentic conversation that I was just really honored to have, and um, I really appreciate his time to take during this um during this time. So I just really appreciate Coach Gillum. I hope you guys have found some value in it. Be ready for some notes. It's it's a ton of information, but it's a lot of great information. It's things that I'm definitely going to use. And it's definitely certain things that just hit home with me and just even reinforce the, the good things that we're trying to do. So without further ado, hope you enjoy Coach Tyler Gillum. Yeah, man. So how's uh, how's everything going with you, man, during those quarantine, man? Good. Just uh, just trying to connect with a lot of people and just continue learning a bunch of things and trying to teaching a couple online courses. Like obviously, when quarantine hit, I had to transition my classes to online, and then I just started a new online course for a summer course this um, this week. Got another one starting next week. Um, we're trying to get our online physical um, fitness class going through the college um trying to get the bananas up and rolling we're supposed to start practice june 17th and then first game july 1st so hopefully that keeps moving georgia looks good um my wife's 23 weeks pregnant so she's rocking and rolling and kicking its butt on that um yeah we've just been hanging out really man yes interesting i i was just doing some research and stuff you send me about like you said meet um reaching connecting with more people. Uh, it was something I saw. It was really interesting about like your bio and things like that, that you shared was about one of your goals was to reach a million people and touch a million people. Yep. I thought that was tremendous. How, how's that been going, man? Like I know that was a, I think that was in 2017. Yep. So if you see right behind my shoulder here, like I've got it on this whiteboard. I wrote it on this whiteboard January 1st in 2017. And that was my original goal of everything I wrote. Um, and I haven't erased it since then. Um, so that was just kind of, I wanted to set a massive goal that would kind of, everybody would look at and go, dude, that's crazy. Dylan. Like I wanted to set a goal that everybody thought would be absolutely insane. Um, and I wanted to challenge myself like that. Um, and just give back from the standpoint of, you know, the game, the game of baseball has done a lot for me. Um, I've had a lot of teachers impact my life. My head coach in, in high school, Eddie Collins probably impacted my life more than anybody. And, um, you know, so that, that's just kind of some thoughts I wanted to come up with, you know, if I, I knew if I, if I could, um, figure out how to get to a million people, then any other types of goals that I really wanted to achieve baseball wise, education wise, life wise, whatever it would be like those goal, those goal, goals would fall into place if I just had an impact on a million people. So in 2016 or 2000, yeah, 2016, I started listening to podcasts and I was coming back from Texas coaching summer ball and I got tired of listening to music because I was listening to the same songs over and over and over. It was like a 16 hour drive and I found that purple button on the iPhone and I mm-hmm. uh, was like, let's check out these podcasts. And I started listening to Entree Leadership, Dave Ramsey's podcast. It's a really good podcast. Got a lot of leaders on there and coaches and business uh, minds and financial planners and any. A bunch of different people so anyway there was a business guy on there that said um 
his his old goal was to make a million dollars. And then he said, until I figured out and changed my goal to I want to have a impact uh, on a million people, I never made a million dollars. So like I, I switched my process to just impacting people and I ended up getting what I wanted down the road. So like I don't give a shit about making a million dollars. Like money's not really that big of a thing to me. Like, yeah, I want to live comfortably and all of that stuff. But like I've never been motivated by money. Money, like I've I've turned down multiple jobs that pay, could have paid me more money. Like um the last year I was in the Texas Collegiate League, I could have taken taken over the head coach there um in the Brazos Valley um and made ten thousand dollars but I didn't want to do that I wanted to do something else and stretch myself so I took a job in the Cape Cod League and made um eighteen hundred dollars that summer and actually I spent close to seven thousand getting there renting a car all of that stuff but like I view things a lot different than just from a money perspective. I, I look at all my decisions on jobs are based around, I need to grow the most. Where's the place where I can grow the most and make the most connections. Those are always the two things that I put at the very top of that pedestal when any job gets thrown my way or any decision gets thrown my way. And, um, you know, when I set this goal in 2017, it started directing and kind of getting me down a path. Like I, I, I would turn things down and decide to do some other different things because of that goal. So, yeah, I don't know where I'm at. I told everybody, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't know if I, you know, wherever that, that check mark is of like, Hey, I'm at 500,000 people or whatever it is. And I don't know. I know this, when I get to a million people, something will say like, okay, you've reached a million people. Like, it'll be obvious, but I don't know what that looks like yet. Um, so it's kind of hard to explain from that standpoint. So whenever it happens, I kind of know it, know it'll happen. But like stuff like me and you hanging out, man, like the, that goal, that goal has directed me to like, I wake up at 4 a.m. and talk to baseball coaches on the phone and any way I can help, that's what I want to do. And, um, you know, if it wasn't for baseball and my head coach, then I would probably be in jail. So um, you know, or dead. Um, so, um, yeah, that's kind of just what's directed me in a, in a nutshell, I guess you could say. Yeah. it sounds like, um, you know, like it's such being such a, a big goal. It's almost just like your mission, your mission to be able to connect and influence a tremendous amount of people. Yeah. And I think it's, it, it morphed into that more of a mission than a goal. It was a goal in 2017. If you can see the goal, it says like, I wanted to reach it by December 31st, obviously. Sure. I don't think that's happened. Um, but, um, it definitely kind of changed of like, okay, it's just taught me a lot of things, you know, it's, it's taught me like, okay, I've got to do this a little bit different. I got to add this in. I've got to change my daily routine here. Like, it's just how I interact with people, how I talk with people. Like, I don't know. And I don't have any of it figured out. I'm just like learning as I go and, and, and just, um, you know, listening and seeing where I can help and, and seeing if I can, you know, have a positive impact on somebody. That's really, that's really kind of the gist of it. Yeah. That's pretty sweet, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny. Like what you I think what you just hit on was how you said um, it's a, it's now affected how you talk to people, you know, and it's just like by, by having a goal of connecting with people, it also, makes you treat people a certain way. It always makes you appreciate certain conversations 
you know, each time you have a conversation, like I remember the first conversation that we had, like very genuine, you know, like you're very, like, you're just giving people that attention that, um, you know, they have like, I mean, she's talked about a couple of things, like, you know, never make 15 seconds feel like 15 seconds, you know, and that's certainly yeah. something, something that you don't do, you know, your 15 seconds doesn't feel like 15 seconds. Yeah. And sheets, man, like me and sheets have been close since like 2010 or 11. Like we worked camps together back in the day and I've learned so much from him from the communication standpoint. I think he's one of the best communicators out there. Um, and he gets a lot of that from his dad, you know, of, you know, his dad was a speaker and I, I think he's just really good at making everybody um, feel important. I think that's important and no matter what, what, business you're in in life um just taking the time and listening to people and i'm not going to say i'm great at it all the time i'm not i know there's you know but it's on my mind like i want to make that happen but at times i you know i might i might come short of that sometimes you know um but it's definitely something that i i try to focus on and and let everybody know whoever i'm hanging out with or talking with like hey man if you need something like i don't care who it is if it's you know, if it's a big league coach, if it's, um, you know, a parent of a 12 year old that randomly showed up at South Mountain and they call me and say, hey, can little Johnny come out and hit with you? We're in town. Sure. Like we've had that happen. You know, a, a random guy from California just showed up. I'm like, hey, let's go. You know, so like whatever that is, um, you know, I, I know some other people that have done that. And, um you know, I think that's what we should all do. You know, we we're we're in good places because a lot of people have helped us out some way, some shape, some form. So um, I think we need to do the same thing. For sure. You talk about communication. I know. That, and then and I know that's something that has been on your mind. And I've heard you talk talk about here recently. Um, if you want to get dive into the Winkleman book, you know, like you yeah. talk about communication and stuff like that. So how have how have you been improving your communication What's something that you're we're working on? Well, I, the biggest thing I think I'm always trying to figure out is uh, this Oklahoma accent and everybody trying to figure out what the hell I'm actually saying. Uh, no, it's it, it's definitely gotten better since I moved out here. That was kind of the funny thing. When I first moved out to uh, Arizona in 2012, my accent was so thick that like some of my players, they had no idea what I was saying, like, especially <laughs> all my eyes, like line, um, like all my eyes it doesn't sound, uh, everybody confuses it. So I, yeah. I'll tell you a story about how bad my accent was when I first got here is I tried to make a reservation at a restaurant and I called the restaurant and they're like, what's your name? And I said, Tyler Gillum. And the person, the person responded with Mike Jones. And I was like, <laughs> what is going on right now? Like, so I was so conscious of my accent <laughs> being thick and like my dad, he's got, He's got a big Oklahoma accent. I, I remember bringing a, one of my best friends home from college and he, we, you know, they, they walked into the house. My dad was talking and we ended up leaving like 30 minutes later. And my, my, we walked outside. My buddy goes, dude, I have no idea what your, your dad just said for 30 minutes. So, um, no, just from, you know, uh, being conscious and self-aware of that, um, I, I think is important. You know, I'm not saying I want to get rid of my accent or anything like that, but, um, just being aware of that and being okay and being vulnerable and telling people like, Hey, you know, if you don't understand me, go coach Gillum. I don't know what the hell you're talking about, you know? Right. So, um, the, I, I think that that piece is, is, is one thing. Um, I would say just growing as a coach, you know, early in my coaching days, like the tone, like, I would yell or get fired up in certain times when I shouldn't. 
Um, I would yell across the room sometimes and cue a kid on a squat pattern in the weight room. And I had some negative feedback from that. Um, and looking back on it now, that that's one thing that I've, that's always stood out to me is like one on the forefront, we're talking about the squat form. I had a kid that wasn't squatting properly. And then I yelled across the room in the middle of his squat. Okay. In the middle of him doing this rep. And, um, I'm trying to tell him to get lower and like, everybody's looking. And so like, he didn't feel good in that me and him got into it actually in that, in that one instance. And I always had that stick with me. It's like, there's no reason that, that me and him should have had a, um, argument about that situation. If I could have handled that better one, if I would have taught him better, on the first couple of weeks we were at school, the squat pattern, the lunge pattern, the hinge pattern, if I could teach that better at the forefront, I would have never had to say anything. So that was one, I needed to make an adjustment. Two was instead of me yelling, you know what, I need to be over there next to him, let him finish the rep and then go, hey, hey let's look at trying to go about three inches lower in your squat form. If I would have handled it better in that, in that setting, um, that would have been been better. And then, you know, just taking it one step further and, um, you know, I don't know if this is good for your, your podcast, but, uh, what we say is ass to grass on, on, you know, our squat form, just get your ass to grass. And so like, that's Nick Winkleman's kind of setup from analogies is, um, just trying to figure out ways where, and, and, and Sheets does this really good when he, when he, he uses verbs that are very actionable and that you can visualize those verbs. Um, he uses those really well. So like astrograss is something we can visualize. That's something that sticks in our brain. And so just being able to use your language where it's sticky and, and analogies do that really well. And they're short and to the point. John Wooden always talked about that, having short to the point analogies and one-liners. So all of your all of your players remember those. And then the other thing is create stories and tell stories about people. And those stick too. So from that language standpoint, I think some of the best coaches in the world aren't guys that know the X's and O's. And I've always said this, but I probably didn't have as much information scientifically um, back in the back in the day, but I always said the best coaches are motivators, they're listeners, and they tell the best stories. I always said that, and they're not the best X's and O's guys necessarily. They might be good, but the thing that makes them tick is the stories they tell, the analogies that they have, and the way they motivate. Because without motivation, players don't dive in and give deliberate practice that's focused. And if there's not deliberate practice, then there's not going to be overall skill development. So anyway, that's kind of long answer on, on language a little bit. No, but it's important. I think you hit on a bunch of great things, you know, and a lot of things that I think I can say just in the short time that I've known you since the ABCA and you know, the time we spent on the phone. Um, you know, a lot of those things you are, you can tell that, you know, you're trying to motivate kids. You can tell that, you know, you're very, you always typically have a great story, you know, <laughs> Uh, you know, just like the stories you've already told about your dad and your, your best friend coming to, coming to visit, you know, and then, um, so, and I, and it's good to hear those things. I think as a, as a, as a young coach, especially, or anybody going up, you know, the, there's all many zoom calls right now. And there's a lot of things going on and people have the fear of missing out, you know, when, um, 
those kind of things, like what you were saying is, is to be, it's still be important. Like, you know, you need to be able to reach people and connect people and tell the stories and communicate well. And, and what you're like saying is pretty important is really important. So, I mean, like what's a, so you're, you're great at the storytelling. Um, how about, how about a time where you've a story where you've been able to be that motivator and you've been able to see a kid really grow based off of, you know, uh, whether that may have been the summer where you got them or maybe at South mountain. Yeah. Um, uh, the number one, the number one story that sticks out to me uh, is a, a kid that we had a pitcher that we had at South mountain. He, he played for us four years ago. He's a kid. His name's Aaron stretch. He's a left-handed pitcher. Okay. And so when, I first heard about Aaron Stretch. We had a scout that I'm really close with. He actually used to coach with us. Aaron, Aaron used to take lessons with this pitching coach, and that's a scout now. And so the scout called me and said, hey, take a look at Aaron. Um, he's a great kid. He works hard. Um, you know, it, his velo's not there yet, but, like, he's a kid that would fit into the South Mountain mold of, you know, what we're trying to do with toughness, discipline, and selfless and, and he's a guy that would fit in with what you guys are doing so take a look at him gave him a call I remember it was actually on Thanksgiving um and called called stretch how you doing man and just like from the start on the phone he already had like a high you know high energy level to him hey coach Gillen what's going on like I've heard about South Mountain I want to be at South Mountain and just doing some background work on, on stretch, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to, how good of a pitcher he is. My buddy, that's a scout. He's like, Hey, you know, he's, he's like 77 to 79 right now. I'm like, well, okay. Um, like he's going to have to get a lot better if he's going to, if he's going to pitch at South mountain. So he's like, like the kid really wants to work. I think you guys should give him a shot. Okay. So he, he's, he was new, relatively new to the Phoenix area too. I think, I believe they moved from Chicago up North where it was a little bit cold. So um, anyway, um, talk with stretch. He comes, throws a bullpen for us and yeah, he's 77 to 79. And the joke is like, Aaron Stretch looked like the Michelin man. So, like, he looked like that logo, right? Like, he was he was shorter. He's probably, like, 5'9", five, 5'10", five, like, you know, kind of stubby, like, kind of stocky, but it was a lot of, like, baby fat. And, um, you know, like, he doesn't look like an athlete, all right, coming to us. But he's got this energy level about him, like he wants to work, he wants to compete, he wants to get better, you know, and he talked, he did some research on South Mountain, and he's like, hey, you know, like, I want to be there, I want to work, you know, I want somewhere where somebody's going to push me. And so um, we basically took the word of our former pitching coach, who's now a scout with the Rays, and was like, okay, we'll take a chance on this guy and let him walk on, okay? He's a good student, um, so he got, like, some academic money to our school in Arizona, so anyway. Stretch comes to us and like he gets to work right away. And this his freshman year was the first year that we did the Growth U program. It's now called the Growth Toolbox. And that's our that's our um, classroom session that we do each week. So in 2016, I, I basically decided we need to figure out a way that we could develop players better from a skill standpoint, from a human standpoint. Uh, all different, any, any academic standpoint, 
as a as a man standpoint. So we developed the growth toolbox and, and Stretch's freshman year was the first year for the growth toolbox. And so in the growth toolbox, we we you know our, our first session is we set goals. We do a goal setting exercise for team and individual. Um, we do telescope goals and microscope goals. And then we get into a time management plan. Um, from there, we get into a nutrition plan. Then from there, we start basically telling a lot of stories and um, talking about the most successful people in the world in, in all facets. And what does their everyday daily habits and routines look like? And we sh share stories of like McGregor and Francisco Lindor and Troy Tulowitzki and Michael Jordan and LeBron and Oprah and anybody else that you can think of that's successful, I've probably studied them. I'm obsessed with studying successful people. So I want to give my guys what that looks like because I think those stories stick. And so anyway, um, you know, we, we talk about perspective. We, we do a lot of team chemistry building. So in this process, Aaron's in this process of our freshman year, and he's, um, you know, really kicking its butt, you know. And we, we take a picture – um, in January, every year in the spring, we do like our individual headshots, right? So, so Aaron's headshot, his freshman year, this is on Twitter too. And I can, I can send it to you. Um, he's got a side-by-side -side January of his freshman year and January of his sophomore year. It's a complete different person. And that's probably what I hang my hat on more than anything is like, what we do within our program, it's not like everybody around the country, college wise, they're going to sell you on how much scholarship money they can give you, where they're going to be able to get you to go to college, you know, a lot of different other baseball things. But we're 100 percent going to sell to you that we're going to be able to make you a better man, make you a better student, make you a better teammate, make you a better you know, um, a person overall. And that's really what this shirt's all about. RE19, the game honors toughness. And um the growth toolbox um, program basically over the course of two years developed into RE19 and our guys got to earn these shirts. And RE19 is one through nine areas of life, relentless effort through one, one through nine areas of life, but also one through nine uh, spots in the lineup too. Okay. So it's a, it's a life thing and it's a baseball thing. So those nine areas are, let's see here, faith as a man, um, as a son, as a teammate in academics, the game, practice, nutrition, strength and conditioning. So those nine areas. And so we look at those nine areas and then we basically vote as a coaching staff and a team of who earns these at the in, in the spring. And so th that's what those guys are, are working towards is getting better at, in all those nine areas. And Stretch did that, no doubt. Um, it's, he actually just finished with his nutrition degree and he's going to be a registered dietitian, um, this next year up at Northern Arizona. So, um, but the story with him is, um, he finished, he got, he basically lost like 30 pounds from his freshman to his sophomore year. He went from a kid that didn't pitch a whole lot his freshman year to having, it was like a 75% scholarship to a division one school. So no scholarships coming out of high school to 75% to Southeast Missouri. And he kept progressing from there. He went to Southeast Missouri and the Ohio Valley conference, which is more of a hitter conference. 
and he ended up he ended up being their closer and throwing a lot. And um, you know, if you want to know about his energy level, they they nicknamed him the Banny Rooster out there because he was just crazy, just competitor. And that's really what what he did, you know. Like we we have a structure in our program that's awesome, but like it's really you know, he wanted all of those things and he wanted to work at it. He wanted to get better every single day. And um, our structure helped, but like he put in all the effort, you know, and I love that kid to death. And, you know, I think that's what, you know, that, that he, that's kind of the epitome of our program. We get so many guys that come into our program with no scholarship offers out of high school. And then they leave with a D1 offer after their sophomore year. And they have that transformation just like Stretch had. Um, and we take chances on guys like that when they are, you know, they do, you know, their coaches say, Hey, this guy's an energy giver. He's going to work his butt off. And, um, you know, we'll take, we'll take chances on those guys. We have a guy that walks on in our program every single year that starts for us every single year. And those are the guys that we look for um, that, that bring that energy that want to work, that want to get better, that might've got passed up for whatever reason. And um, I'll tell you the last story I'll leave with on this is, um, Stretches sophomore year, um, we were doing the growth toolbox program. It's an it's an hour classroom session each week on Fridays at 10 a.m. And our president of the school, Dr. Olson, um, got wind of it that we were doing it. She thought it was really cool. She really supports athletics at South Mountain. And they have like a community meeting every month. So she invited us to tell the story. Like she gave us like 10 minutes to tell the story about the growth toolbox and what we're doing. So I brought stretch along and one other player who also was a walk on and then um, went to Michigan state and played at Michigan state for two years. Um, so I brought both of those guys on cause I thought they were awesome stories to tell about really what our growth toolbox program did for these two players. And I, you know, I talked for about four or five minutes, kind of gave the spill of, hey, this is what the growth toolbox looks like. This is what our course looks like, the sessions um, each week and, and what we do in the course. And there was a doctor um, in the in, in the like in the um, audience and he said, you know what, you know, I, I played division one basketball. I'm now a doctor. And, you know, I I. I every program in the country should have that right there. I would, you know, I wish I had that when I was going to school. And anyway, um, I, I talked for about four minutes and then I let Nick Lacayo and Aaron stretch tell their stories about how that it's impacted them. And after they were done giving a five minute talk, there wasn't a dry eye in the room and, and how it's impacted them. So, um, th that's kind of what I hang my hat on the most is, um, you know, uh, those guys are going to have, you know, get an opportunity to reach their dream and go play at a division one school. And maybe they wouldn't have had that opportunity if they had went somewhere else, but also, um, you know, now stretch is going to be a registered dietitian and he's going to go impact a lot more people in, in that world. And, you know, the world is struggling with obesity with 66% of the people in America obese. And um, he's going to go, you know, take a chunk out of that and impact people's lives. So that's what I hang my hat on more than anything. And, you know, Andy Lopez, when I first moved to Arizona, Andy Lopez um, let me come work his camp at the University of Arizona. And Andy is the man. You talk about a communicator and you talk about a guy that, that can really impact people and has impacted all kinds of people. Well, um, when I was there at the camp, he told me a story that, 
Um, you know, everybody wants to talk about how many big leaguers that they, they have in their program. You know, like we've had 20 big leaguers come through our program, but Andy kept a running count of how many husbands and fathers he had. And that, that count is 10 times more than how many big leaguers he had. So like I said, if we're only, if we're only doing this to try to make big leaguers, we're missing the boat. So, um, and I learned that from Andy more than anybody probably um, because that just really stuck home with me. And that was right after they won the 2012 national championship, you know? So um, anyway, that, that's kind of my story with, um, you know, a, a player, a player story. It's a great one. It's a great one. And that's the thing. It's funny. Like, you know, you, you, you start the story with his baseball, you know, and that's still part of it, you know, but then it's funny how the majority of that was through his, his character and things like that. And uh, that's a, it's an amazing story, you know, and that's, it's, it definitely is a testament to what your program's doing for sure. It's, it's, that's awesome. You know, cause most people wouldn't think, you know, being at a Juco, you only got two years, you don't feel like you might have enough time to develop that, but you know, that 18, 20 year old years, man, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty, pretty impactful. I spent four years at uh, Hagerstown community college as an assistant coach. And yeah, yeah, man, those, those years are extremely important, you know, extremely important. We were talking about it the other day, since you said that, like that transition from your senior year to your freshman year, like for me, that was the biggest transition year of my life. Like it, it completely changed. Like I had to figure out how to do a lot of things on my own and like the transition that's happening for majority of, you know, whoever it is going from high school to college is you've got new coaches, you've got a new environment, you've got new teammates, you've got, you got to figure out how to do school different, like school's just different in college. Um, You got to figure out how to do laundry on your own and cook and like all these other little things that you didn't have to do before. And, you know, maybe mommy and daddy and did those for you before. And now you're really having to grow up. So that transition phase is so, it's so important. It's so big. And that's, to be honest with you, that's why I love junior college for so many reasons, but that's a big reason because from the time perspective of it, like I can coach my guys as many hours of the day as I want. I can be with my guys. I can spend time with them. And, you know, it's not like that at the NCAA level and some other places where, um, you're kind of restricted on 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 hours, um, but you know, I, I, there's I could go into it forever on how important I think junior college is, but that's one of them is like we can spend time, and um, you know that's important to us as a coaching staff at South Mountain. Sure, and I'd love to hear more about the to- uh, the growth toolbox if you wouldn't mind, like maybe getting into some details of it. You know, like maybe like you know, kind of thinking of like what kind of inspired you. Like if the, so you're thinking like the nine areas, are you spending like a little bit of time each day on each area. You're spending a month on a certain area. Like you could just dive into some details there. Yeah. So how it all came to came to be really was in 2015. I was kind of thinking like, okay, how can we take our program to the ne- next level? How can you know like we're not getting more scholarship money. Um, we're not getting you know this mass amount of you know money to build new facilities. Like those things aren't showing up out of nowhere. So what can I control and what can I do, you know, to, to help guys out? And at that time, it was a big talk. Like every time, every time you go to ABCA um, in that time, I remember because um, I spoke on the growth toolbox, um, the growth U program um, at ABCA on the Expo Theater in 2016 in Anaheim. That was the first year ABCA did the Expo Theater. And yeah, Sheets right. allowed me, gave me the opportunity to speak about the Growth Toolbox program um, in January in Anaheim at ABCA. And so, like, it was 
I was trying to figure out how to just improve everything we did from skill development to, you know, people building to get our players to, you know, division one schools to pro ball to make them, you know, improve our GPA. Like we were good. Our program was good. It was solid. Like we had, we had like three, two GPA as a team before the, before the growth U program, the growth, it's called growth toolbox. It started as growth U, but um, we, you know, like we won games. Like I think we averaged like 34 wins a season, which is good. We finish in the top three in our conference every year. You know, we, we got, I think seven to nine guys to division one schools every single year. Like our program's good, but I was like, oh, how can we take this thing to the next level? You know? And, um, I read a book by John Gordon called the no complaining rule. I was flying from Phoenix to Oklahoma. I was flying back home and I read it th- and, on that plane flight. And basically in that book, if you haven't read the book, it says you can't complain unless you have two solutions. And so I was at that time, I said, you know what? We've all got to quit complaining about kids are like this these days. Like, cause that was a big talk. You know, that's what I was getting at is like that. That was a big talk back in the days. Like, Oh, kids act like this. They're not tough enough. They're not this. They're not that. And all that stuff is like, you know, I don't think our expectations and standards are high enough. I, I don't think that, I think that's the biggest reason, you know, it's not the kid's fault. It's the parent's fault. It's the coach's fault. It's, you know, what can we do and what can we control it? And, you know, how can we change that? So I didn't want to have that as an excuse anymore. I wanted to control what I could control. And I said, Hey, we need to start doing this program and we need to start, you know, diving in and investing in our players more, and and so what does that look like and so I honestly started developing this program in 2014 but I thought I had to have it perfect to start it like I thought it had to have all the bells and whistles and then I finally said you know what screw it I'm just going to start it and figure it out along the way and see what happens so um yeah that was the that was the fall of 2015 when we started and then um, January ABCA in Anaheim, 2016, I spoke about it. And, um, anyway, it's kind of blown up, but this is, this is what I basically, um, started doing it. I think it starts with goal setting. I think we should all start with goal setting just in general in life. Um, we got to get a direction and a destination of where we're going. And I see that from, um, telescope and microscope goals. So telescope goal is your big vision goal. That's like, um, you know, you're going to see something far away and that could be six months, a year, two years, five years. Um, I don't like that's to get the, too that's far the million out. people. That's the million people. Yep. That, that, that's, that's exactly what trying to have an impact on 1 million people through baseball education and exercises. It's like, that's my yep. telescope goal. And then your microscope goal is your day-to-day zoom habits. So that's your microscope sees all of them, the itty bitty stuff. And that's what, you know, that's what you're going to do every single day, your daily routines and habits. That's why I'm obsessed with daily routines and habits. What's your morning routine? You know, do you, do you have a checklist every single day of like, I need to mark these things off. And that's what I try to do. And, you know, you, you can keep it simple in a lot of ways. And like for that goal, it would be, Hey, have a positive impact on one person today, you know, make, make, make today, you know, make today somebody's, you know, make them feel important today. Um, see if you can help somebody out today, whatever that is, get on a podcast, get on a zoom call, um, send a handwritten letter to somebody like whatever that is, you know? Um, so that directs me in a lot of ways. It, it might just be having a five minute conversation with one of my players that needs to talk about life because he just broke up with his girlfriend and that's happened a bunch of times, you know? So like, I think that goal setting exercise is important. So you um, teach them, you teach them a goal setting process. So like, 
even to go through, you go through each person's like personal goals or each person's like baseball goals. Yep. So we basically do a team, uh, team setting, a, a team goal setting uh, exercise. And so, hey, where do we want to go? How are we going to get there? That whole microscope, telescope. And then um, we do an individual one as well. And so they'll do, um, they'll do a baseball one. They'll do an academic one. They'll do a nutrition one. They'll do a new, uh, strength and conditioning one. And then they'll do one as a person teammate. So um, kind of along the lines of this. So those five areas, and they can make more than one goal if they want to. They'll do telescope goals, microscope goals, and then they'll send those to me and I keep those. And so what it helped me realize is like, I need to keep, you know, like, it's always been like create relationships. Like we hear everybody talking about that, but how are we creating these relationships? And like, right. do you know where these kids are going? Do you know what they're really interested in? You know, they might want to start a business. They might want to be a chiropractor, physical therapist, or whatever it is. So I think those goals are important. I have those goals. And I think, you know, one, it's like, I know where these players are thinking and where they want to go. So I can push them and push those buttons and what their microscope goals say, like, Hey, you know what? I need to get a hundred ground balls today. You know what? I need to go hard every day in the weight room. Um, we'll use smart goals and try to make those as detailed as possible. Um, that's kind of like what my goal is um, there with my, my mission, basically. Um, just making it a, a lot more detailed, but um, so we break those down and I'll, I'll tell you this, why I think it's overall important is, you know, just like every program, there's kids that, you know, there was discipline problems here and there, like kids didn't go to class, kids, you know, struggled in the classroom, kids got in trouble for whatever, you know, that happens everywhere. So I wanted to eliminate that because one of our big, one of our biggest things with our guys is like, I noticed is like, when they got in trouble at South mountain, like they would have to run a lot. And then after they got, you know, they, they finished running because they got disciplined for screwing up like the next day or two, like they weren't as good at practice because they were sore. So from a skill development standpoint, they weren't going to get better those next two days because deliberate practice and being focused and being able to move as good as they possibly could. But the number one thing is like, they have to do things right in life to be able to get where they want to. So it starts with, they got to be disciplined. You got to be disciplined in life uh, of doing things the right way. And then skill development happens. And so what I started thinking about is like, I'm tired of watching these guys run. I'm tired of watching these guys get in trouble. So this is like the big scheme of the growth tool, the scheme, the big motto, the big thought process behind uh, the growth toolbox is can we take all of these situations that we have problems, whatever. All right. And instead of rehabbing all of those problems on the backside, like running, like kicking them out of school, like cutting them from the program, like whatever it is, and, you know, sending people to drug rehab, alcohol rehab, AA, like all of these things that we do in America, just in general, is we, we rehab the crap out of everything. And it's in a negative environment. And we spend a lot of time and a lot of money doing it. And could we completely switch that and say, okay, here are all the problems. We know these are the problems. Can we take that and change those problems? And can we prehab all of those problems and educate on the forefront in a positive environment and put that money over here in this positive environment where it changes everything? And so there's not as many of those problems. And then we get a better solution and a better result 
in the long run with grades, you know, people in society, better baseball, um, more wins, more scholarship, all of those things that we want, all of those fruits of our tree, we can water the roots of that tree better on the forefront prehabbing versus rehab everything on the back end. And it's just not, it's not good. So once we started doing this, like we did the growth youth program, everything started changing. Like we were already a good program, but it went next level. So like we've averaged like 38 wins now versus like 32, 33, 34. Um, we went from like seven to eight D1, D1 players signing um, each year from our program to last year we had 14. Um, nice. Um, we, we went from like a three, two GPA to like a three, four team GPA. Uh, I mean, like it's so there's hardly any discipline problems. Like I, we hardly run anymore. Like there, we hardly run anymore because we've prehabbed a lot of those things on the forefront. Um, so it's, and a lot of it's like life hacks, like how should you act? How, you know, how do you communicate? You know, like we have a communication day, we have a, um, facing fear day. We have a perspective day. We have a self-awareness day. We have a, um, the power of one day. So are they just days that you're just be specific on those things and like, Hey, how do we show those things today? Like, and everything's about that. Yep. Yep. We kind of have a theme and then we base off that theme. I tell stories and it's not just me in the front talking. It's like, we're, we're, I've got them, um, mixed up into groups so they actually have four groups that they compete in those groups throughout the entire fall. And then at the end of the fall, what we have is um, the Grand Junction Challenge. It's a five day event with 30 or it's a five day um, challenge, basically four teams um, over five days. They have 30 events, all kinds of events, academic events, strength events, speed, speed events, um, team skills events. There's all kinds of multiple events to their eating, eating competition, spelling bee competition. <laughs> so anyway, they get into it and then, then they win shirts at the end of the semester. Whoever, whoever gets the most points, we, we keep points throughout the semester, but I'll go back to goal setting. So the reason, the number one reason we need to goal set is we understand where our players want to go. We understand what's important to them. And then from there, if there's a discipline issue, all right, say in the classroom, uh, a kid's not turning in his homework. He's not going to class, so on and so forth. I can just pull out that goal setting exercise and Johnny comes into my room and, or in my office. And I'm like, okay, I got an email from your teacher. Um, we did, we do grade checks every four weeks. And I'm like, right now you got a D in this course it says you've missed two classes. What it says on your goal setting exercise is that you wanted to get a, a 3.0 this fall because you, you know that's going to help you academically and get academic money going to the next, the next school. And you told me your microscope goal was that you were going to go to every class. So you told me that's what you wanted to do. I didn't tell you that's what you had to do. You told me that that's what you thought you needed to do to reach that goal. So one or two things need to change. Either you need to change that big goal and say, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to get a 2.0, which that's not going to fly with me either because we're not going to be average at South Mountain. Like you knew that coming in as a recruit, like we're here to be elite. Or we need to change your microscope goal and what your daily behaviors are, are, are doing. And they're like, yep, coach, you, you know what? I committed to that. That's what I needed to do. I screwed up. 
And really that's the talk. Like, you're right, coach. That's what I said. That's all the talk I have. Like, it's probably the most easiest process because they came up with it. They said that they needed to do that. And so I think that's just like any, any of us, right. Or I train, like we all need to be kicked in the butt every once in a while and say, Hey, you know what? Like, that's not good enough. We need to be better. Yeah. You got to own it. You got to own it. That's one day. I'll, I'll tell you this. This is, this is important too. The biggest thing that we do, and this is coming from after asking all of our players what their favorite day in in the growth toolbox is. And and there's two things that always come up. Number one is the time management day that we do. And it actually spans over three weeks. And what we do with our time management plan, we used to have an Excel spreadsheet and we would map out every 30 minutes of our day of basically put all of our telescope and microscope goals in that time management sheet and everything that we needed to accomplish throughout that day, class, eating, sleeping, nutrition plan, practice, everything that we wanted to map out and make sure we check those boxes for that day. And this is how I got those guys to do that and kind of buy into that is, so after the goal setting exercise, I ask them this, I say, okay, All right, guys, if I followed you around for three days, I came to your house, I watched you, everything you did for three days, and I wrote down on a piece of paper everything you did, when you went to sleep, what you ate, who you were hanging out with, when you worked out, how hard you worked out, so on and so forth. And I I kept a log of that for three days, okay? And I took that log to a random person that had no idea who you were, okay? And I said, hey, I want you to take a look at this log. This This is a person I followed around for three days, okay? Can you look at this log and can you guess this guy's big vision goal? All right. Can you guess this guy's telescope goal by looking at his daily actions? And for the most part, I joke with my guys because it kind of gets their attention. I said, for some of you guys, I would probably sit here, do a three-day log of what you did every single day. And I would take a look at that and I would assume and I would guess that you wanted to be a drunk, obese video game player. (laughs) because you guys party too much on the weekends you eat mcdonald's every single day so you're not feeding your body to perform at the highest level and then you played seven hours of video games but you tell me on your telescope goal that you wanted to be a division one pro baseball player you want to go you want to play at asu you want to play at oklahoma state you want to play at vanderbilt you want to play at florida you want to play at south carolina you want to play at all these schools okay but what you're doing every day isn't showing up. So something's got to change. All right. So like you've got to add in, what does it look like every single day to be elite? So everybody wants to attach themselves to elite, to Vanderbilt, to Arizona state, Arizona, all these big programs around the country, be a professional baseball player. All right. Make it to the major leagues. 750 players make it to the major leagues. Okay. Each year. Okay. I think the number in the entire time of major league baseball it's like less than twenty-two thousand players have played in the major leagues less than twenty-two thousand. think about that number it's a hundred years of baseball and you want to be one of those guys but you play seven hours of video games i'm not saying you can't play video games i highly recommend you playing an hour of major league baseball mlb the show because it's probably going to teach you to play the game better I, i recommend that you we need outlets to let go but instead of seven hours, cut that down and go hit, go lift, go run, go study. I have to get that academic scholarship. So that's what it looks like on that time management plan. And now we do it through our Google calendar, through our South Mountain um, Gmail account. 
So we basically map it out and it's color coded. And I've, I've got a picture on Twitter that I can show, show to you of our guys doing that. Um, but that's really impacted them too as well. The other thing that I'll touch on is we do, and Sheets might have touched on this because we've talked about this a lot over the years, is John Gordon has, he came up with an exercise. I don't know if he came up with it, but I stole it from John Gordon was Hero Highlight Hardship. And I'll do that for the rest. Every year that I coach baseball, I will do Hero Highlight Hardship exercise with my guys. But I had a, had a player that played for us three years ago. He's now in the Brewers organization named Keegan McCarville. And I said, what do you remember most about doing Growth Toolbox? I, I did this on our uh, Instagram Live Coffee and Thoughts the other day with, with Keegan. He's one of the most competitive players I ever played with or ever coached. Love Keegan. And he told me, he goes, I would probably say the day we did Hero Highlight Hardship. Everybody told their stories about who their hero was in their life, what their hardship was, and what their highlight was. And there wasn't a dry eye in the room. And it completely changed the trajectory of our program, our team chemistry. And that's the best team we've had at South Mountain from a win standpoint. I think that year we ended up winning like 48 games or 46 games or something. We were um, one win away from the World Series. So it was a phenomenal year all the way around. But that team was close. They competed. But it was that hero highlight hardship that really touched those guys. And I'll tell you this, Trey, like um, talking about getting to know your players and creating relationships is – that that exercise, I found out that three players told me stories about they were so depressed at one point in their life in high school that they were going to commit suicide, wow. that they set it up, they had it planned out, they thought about it, and they all had different stories about what they were going through. And if I would have never had that, you know, if I would have never had that exercise session as a team, I would have never found out that information about those players. And like, man, I look, you know, like, I looked at those players differently from that day forward. Like, man, that, that guy, you know, I think we hide our emotions, especially as men a lot, you know, really well. And, you know, I, like those guys, we have a kid that that story this year, he, he opened up and told that story and man, like who he was as a person after telling that story to the team. And he took off, like he took off at, as a person. So um, those two things are huge, you know, goal setting, time management, hero highlight hardship. We do a multiple other different scenarios in growth toolbox. I could sit here and talk about it for 10 hours. I've been trying to write a book for the last five years on the program and get it out there in a booklet form, but I haven't done it yet. I need to do it because I think it'll help me out on that, on, on chasing a million people. So uh, anyway, yeah, that's not show. That sounds like another online course there too. <laughs> yeah. So I need to, I need to lock in and get those things done. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. That's why a hero highlight hardship is something that's been a staple for me for at least five years. Uh, I think it's been at least five or six years doing it. It's, it is tremendous. And I, I think the perspective of, because, you know, it's at the high school level and I'm, I'm sure I know it's creeping into some college and things like that, but the parent, the parent problems and parent issues that people would have, or, you know, parents can just be a, a struggle sometimes. And, but for me, when I do that, and a lot of times what you hear, and especially when I get to speak from the high school kids that we've done it, is majority of them their, their hero is their parent. Yeah. Is and and what it does for us, you know, as a staff when we're, you know, sitting here hearing them, you know, and major and, and we know that this guy just reams us out or how this their parent just is, you know, but in that it's still that kid's hero. And so yeah. it's it gives us very good perspective on dealing with that kid 
um, handling, you know, the parents and being able to just have that relationship, you know, because it, it, that was one of the biggest things that it, that it, it hit, hit, hit home with us that no matter what this guy does to other people, like his son, like this is his hero. Yep. So very, very, like you said, the, the perspective that you gain from that is, is, is amazing. But yeah, the environment that you must create has created for people to share like that is pretty tremendous to your, for your guys' credit South mountain, because that's certainly not easy. I, I can remember spe- even specific places where we were at when we were sharing, you know, yeah. sometimes I, you know, we weren't in a classroom, like six years ago, we weren't in a specific classroom, you know, six years ago, it was on the side in a, in a on the field, <laughs> you know, what we just had like a, like a after practice or before practice kind of skull session, I guess you could put it. And yep. that was, that was the topic for the day. And it was, it's powerful, yeah. man. It's very powerful. So I totally those agree. things are so important. I think all of us coaches need to realize how important those sessions are. Those sessions have stuck with me my entire life, like random sessions. Um, we had a session when I played at Seminole State Junior College. It's my freshman year and we all got into a room and our head coach was Eric Myers at the time. And he's one of the most intimidating dudes I've ever seen in my life. Like, He's 6'5", goatee, was jacked back in the day. So anyway, like, he gets us in this room. We got, we're all in this room. And it's our alumni room. And um, he plugs this DVD in. This is in the fall of 2005. And it starts showing this story about Team Hoyt. Have you ever seen the, do you know the story on Team Hoyt? Uh, No, I forgot. I've heard it. It's a father-son combination. They do they do Ironman oh, contests. So they've yeah. been doing it forever. They've ran the Boston Marathon. They did all the Ironmans. But his son's a paraplegic. So his son his son is basically when he does these Ironman competitions. And if you know an Ironman, like the first part of the Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim. So what he does is put his son, that's a paraplegic, in a raft boat. He puts a harness on and swims 2.4 miles. And then he puts him in a, a bike and he has a, a, a bike where he can put his son in. It's got like a, a seat in there and he bikes the 126 miles that the bike piece of it is. And then he's got this stroller that he puts him in and he runs the 26 miles of this Ironman. And this guy's older. Like he's like, he was like 50 or 60 when he first started doing this. Mm. And um, anyway, we're watching this and they're telling the story and like, man, it was so impactful for us. Like that from that day, it was all that was so much perspective for me that, you know, like one time we got in trouble at Seminole State. We had to run 13.5 miles as a team one night. It took us three hours. Oh my God. And like when we were doing that, though, like every, the, you know, the negative things that would pop in my head, like, man, this sucks. Like I would always just go back to like. Dude, Team Hoyt, that dude, you know, Mr. Hoyt, the older man, the dad, the father is, you know, doing this and he's pulling his son and his son, he doesn't even have an opportunity to run 13.5 miles. So what am I bitching about? You know, so it's like, it was just really good perspective for me. But that day, like, I'll never forget that day. We had those days in high school that that happened. So that's why I wanted to do that that classroom session at, at South Mountain in, in and, and get together in a group and not just me set up there and talk, but us tell stories and let these guys lead and let these guys teach the players teach and, and get in front. You know, I just think it's so impactful. Just like you said, man, like I, I can remember all of those sessions that, 
You know, I can remember a session when we were 12 years old in Stillwater, Oklahoma. We just got beat on a Saturday morning at eight o'clock in a team that was sponsored by Tide Detergent. And, you know, we stayed up all night jumping on, on, on beds and our coaches were pissed because we messed up their tea, uh, golf tea time. And we had to go practice after that on a side field. And like, I'll never forget that, but that was the standard of competition of like, get yourself prepared. I think that's why we won four state championships in high school. It's like, there was a standard, there was an expectation, like, Hey, get yourself prepared. Don't stay up all night, jumping up, you know, jumping around like a bunch of idiots. Like we were 12, you know, like, but we were really good. And then we had a lot of good teams in, in high school and then pro guys and college guys after that. So I think there's just a standard that you need to hold, but those days, those, those meetings are so important. Yes, they are. Yes, they are, man. So do you, how do you, um, you know, like with your, 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 with being a faculty member, um, what you do, in, what you do in the weight room, um, do you have much, I guess it really, all of this, the toolbox stuff is like, do you, do you carry that over to where you're all also teaching in your, in your classroom? Yeah. So, um, I teach a class called healthful living, HES 100 healthful living. I've taught it for nine semesters, nine years now. So I've taught the class actually, including summer classes. I've probably taught the class about 22 times. And it's basically a class on helpful living, on, on, on well-being, on happiness, on success. And really what I started to do is just dive in on studying the most successful people. I've always done that. I've always read about successful people. I'm a big quote guy. Quotes always fired me up. Um, I love watching motivational speakers and what they talk about and like just giving these different scenarios and learning from some of the best coaches in the world. And so I started putting these things in the class. So the class we do, um, we do a daily journal in the class. So they write, you know, like eight to 10 sentences on whatever their thought is on a quote that I give them. So I think that's important, like a gratitude journal. I think it's, it's important to create some self-awareness, but also I've learned from highly successful people like business people where every morning they have, that's kind of what I've came up with, with coffee and thoughts, like read something, write something down. A lot of business people like write 10 ideas every single morning. You know, the owner of the Savannah bananas, Jesse Cole, like every morning, that's his morning routine. He runs in the mornings and he writes 10 ideas down. And I've heard multiple other people do that too as well. So we do that in that class. We set goals. We do a lot of the same, like I have the, I have the growth toolbox template. It's an Excel form that I use for the class goal setting, gratitude, <clears throat> excuse me, gratitude journal. We do an exercise routine. We do a grocery list and then do a budgeting system um, of looking at, you know, like when I was in college, we, my, I grew up with no money. My family didn't give me any money. I had to figure it out. So like, how do you live off of $20 during the week? Like we go to the grocery store um, I walk them around the grocery store. We look at um, nutrition labels. We break down good food. Then we break down um, like if you have twenty, if you have twenty dollars for the week, what can you buy at the grocery store where you can eat relatively healthy, all right, with only twenty dollars, and then thirty dollars, and then forty dollars, and then fifty dollars, all right, and, and and let's look at eating healthy versus just say, hey, it costs too much to eat healthy because that's that's bullcrap. That's the easy way out of saying. You know, nobody actually knows. Like everybody that says, oh, it costs too much to eat healthy. They've never done the math. They just heard somebody else say it, you know? So like, um, you know, we go to the grocery store and do that. And um, we talk about alcohol abuse. We talk about um, drug abuse. And, you know, I share stories like that. My, you know, my, my family, 
my entire family and, you know, a lot of friends in, in Oklahoma growing up, like the, they had alcohol and, and drug abuse uh, problems growing up. I've seen it firsthand. I've, you know, I've, I've seen what it's done to, to families, to people. And, you know, again, that's why I go back to we need to prehab some of these problems versus rehab some of these problems. And, you know, my mom died of a Oxycontin overdose in 2018. And then, you know, my dad's been, uh, you know, he's been in and he's had five DUIs. He's had trouble with drug addiction for his entire life, like 40 years, you know, um, he's like 60 now. So like, um, I've seen that firsthand and, and, and trying to deal with that. And so anyway, th those are some of those things that, that, that kind of go into, um, go into that. Incredible, man. You're an incredible leader. Uh, it's great to be a true example. And uh, you talk about a very practical course too, that you're just basically just saying, Hey man, here's how I'm just going to help you build a great life. <laughs> so good for you, man. It's freaking awesome. Um, you know, just, um, just thinking about diving into some, some baseball stuff too. Now you've talked about, um, you know, you got into the bananas, you talked about Jesse Cole. Um, how have you, you know, what have you seen the biggest difference between, you know, the bananas, what the bananas do and like what you're kind of doing at South mountain? Like, how do you, what's the two big, uh, how you live, how do you live in those two worlds? Um, well, you know, I'm a head coach in the, with the Savannah bananas, but I'm an assistant coach at South mountain. Our head coach is Todd Easton. He's our athletic director as well. He's been there for 20 years and uh, love that guy to death, man. He's given me so many opportunities and, uh, so I just try to be the best assistant I possibly can for Todd. And he's got a lot of things on his plate. So I just try to figure out what I can take off of his plate. And, he, you know, there's so many. We have, four, we have four assistants at South Mountain right now. Three of those assistants are head coaches in the Coastal Plain League. Um, Kevin Soiney, he's with the Holly Springs Salamanders. And then Jimmy Turk. He's uh, the head coach of the Macon Bacon, which is the bananas rival, actually. So we get into fights in the office a little bit, you know, nice. uh, Macon Bacon versus Savannah Bananas. But um, the, the thing that us assistants love just working for Todd is like he doesn't micromanage you. It's like, hey, here's your job. Here's your duties. Here's your responsibilities and get after it and go to work. And then if we need to change some things, we'll change some things. You know, I think I think that's a great thing about working for Todd. And so I just try to be a great assistant for him and and just you know, do everything that I possibly can to help improve our program. Um, but with the bananas, you know, I mean, like we're playing in front of, you know, 4,000, 4,500 fans uh, at junior college. It's, it's usually about a hundred fans and about 20 of those guys are scouts. So it's, it's just a different, it's, it's a different piece to that. Um, you know um, yeah. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of the gist of it, I would say. Okay. Well, think about when you go back to being an assistant coach, you talk, you talk about taking things off the, off the plate of head coach. What else do you think would make, makes a great assistant coach? I think loyalty, um, hard work, doing more than what you're paid for, um, understanding exactly what, what the head coach needs and wants and, and be able to approach him and say, Hey, you know, what else do you need? Um, I think as a head coach in the summer, I was a head coach in 2012 and 13 in the Myrtle Beach Collegiate League. So I got a little bit of a feel of that. And then, um, you know, just learning from other, you know, other, other coaches around the country and just watching and observing and kind of being self-aware of what's going on and what the team needs and where I can fill a role, you know, and, and, and being able to be flexible and, and adapt. I think those are the flexibility and adaptability. And no matter what job you go to in your, in, in your life, 
are, are two things. Like things aren't going to go great. Like it's, I mean, they're not going to go as planned as all the time. So like, just know, you know, like, here's a plan. We're going to, we're going to plan as well as we possibly can. Right. Here's, we've got our whole fall planned out, but no rain's going to happen. You know, injuries have things happen, you know, life happens. So you got to be able to adjust. You got to be able to be flexible. And, um, you know, I think being honest, being able to speak your mind, being able to, um, just show up and go to work every day, be able to be loyal to the head coach. Um, my biggest thing is do more than what you're do more than what you're paid for. Cause in the reality of it, we probably aren't paid. None of us are paid enough, um, to put in all the hours, um, of throwing BP, hitting fungo, doing administration work, whatever that is. Um, so don't look at it from, uh, you know, if you're looking at it from a money standpoint, you're always worried about how much money you're getting paid. You know, I think you're in the wrong business. I mean, that's but not for the right reasons. Yeah. You're not doing it for the right reason. So my, my thing is just keep improving, you know, like figure out how you can be a benefit. I think Dan Padilla, one of our assistants at South mountain, he, he played for us and then came back and coached with us. Like, you know, he, he's, I think he's the epitome of that. Like he, um, he first started helping me at, with the infielders at South Mountain, and then he started um, helping with the hitters, and then he started um, working on the base running piece of it, and then he worked with the catchers at one point, then he helped Todd with the pitchers, so he like floated and did all of these things, it was kind of like a Swiss army knife, and um, you know, now he's really kind of, um, he kind of leads up our hitters, um, we all kind of help with hitting, but he kind of leads it up, puts together all the, all the programs and the plans pretty much, and um, like he's just grown, but he's, he's grown in multiple areas. And so he's so beneficial to us at South mountain. Like he doesn't get, he didn't, he gets, he has paid a thousand dollars for the entire year. And, you know, he makes his money from, um, mowing the grass, basically taking care of the fields on campus, you know? So, and then he, he, he invests and volunteers his time. That's kind of in a nutshell, do, do more than what you're paid for. Take care of your guys. Um, be the good cop because the coach, the head coach has to be the bad cop. I think um, because he's going to do most of the discipline. And um, so, yeah, those are, those are a couple of things. Sure. Sure. And I, I think it speaks to who you are too, as a person, you know, I know looks looking through and uh, you're, you know, just doing the research, uh, what you sent me about how you basically got your position as a full-time faculty member of, you know, how that's always kind of when, even when you first got there is, you know, what you were going to, what you needed to do to even get become full-time. It was always a matter of doing more than what I was getting paid to do at that moment. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, it's, it, it's always been that thing. It's like every job I've tried to take, it was, it, it's either, you know, is this job going to help me grow more and learn more? And am I going to make more connections? Um, it's never really been about money. And then it's, you know, I just kind of, I saw that faculty position opening three years before it opened because we had a doctor that was about to retire, um, Dr. Ferguson. He was in that position for a number of years. He was about to retire. So I just started trying to take responsibilities off of his plate. I was an adjunct faculty at the time. I was teaching a couple classes and um, I, I started trying to do basically all of his work. I'm like, whatever you want to give me, give it to me. Um, hiring adjunct faculty, um, doing a lot of the administration work. Um, I ended up creating our exercise science um, program at South Mountain. We had 10 classes that we didn't offer for the program. I developed and did all the curriculum for those classes. I taught all of those classes. 
Um, we, we once had three students at the start of the program. We had three students that were going through the program that needed to get those classes done so they could graduate. Um, you know, the school's not going to let three students, you know, only there's only three students taking this class. They're not going to let that class go because they would lose money on that class. So they would cancel the course normally. So I said, don't cancel the class. I'll, I'll teach those classes for free and develop those classes and get those students through those classes. And now one of those students has his own, um, his own strength and conditioning facility right up the road from South mountain. It's called Omega, Omega strong. And he's been going for like three years now, you know, and it's, it, it, you know, that, that just try to impact people, man. Cause he's, he's now impacting hundreds of people at his gym, you know? So, um, yeah, do more than what you paid for, uh, you know, Absolutely. and you get opportunities. It's not going to help sitting around complaining. Um, and that go back to the no complaining rule. What's the solution? Put in some more work, you know, go to work. That's it. John Gordon, man. I love him. Work. Wow, man. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a really testament to you, man. You, you've definitely done it in all areas, which is great. You're definitely a, a true leader that practices what they preach, man. You walk the walk for sure. You know, um, you, you, you know, thinking about baseball and like all of these different stops that you've made, you know, you've all the like green light special is you, man. You've always, you know, the stolen bases just pop out to you when you start to look at all your different stops. And I think, you know, for me, you know, especially in the summer, you only get the guys really for a year, you know, and you're, it, for me, then it, as a coach, it says, well, well, he must be teaching it a certain way. He must be able to communicate it very clearly and get these, and it has to be a great system that somebody can just quickly quickly jump onto um could you, could you dive into anything like that could you dive into saying well what what does the system look like that allows people to just learn it that quickly sure well i'll, I'll say it's you know it's this to start with i i if i can brag about anything it's i've been able to surround myself with really good people like Every, I, I was lucky enough to play for Eddie Collins in high school. He's about to become the nation's winningest high school coach next year. Um, I think it's going to be like 2,115 wins. I don't know. I lost count. It's a, it's a crap load of wins. It's over 2,000 wins. So anyway, like um, I've just been lucky to be surrounded by some people that are really good at what they do. Seminole State, one of the winningest junior colleges, got a chance to go there and play, you know, coming to South Mountain being around Todd, being around all the assistants that have worked at South Mountain, like, uh, you know, coaching in the Cape Cod with Coach Pickler and Nate Fish. And, like, there's so many people that I've been able to be around. Like, I've just learned so much from those guys. So, like, I got to thank all of those guys. I stand on all of those guys' shoulders in anything that I do. And then the other thing is, like, we've had good players, too. Like, you got to have good players um, that buy in to do those things. So, those two things are – first and foremost. And then really the green line special kind of developed over time. Um, I've always loved playing fast and playing aggressive. Uh, I definitely think anything you do in life, you need to be aggressive versus be passive. I think too many times fear jumps in our head and then we become passive in a lot of things in life. And, and we've got this, you know, negative uh, thing that this, this block that's blocking us. And like, if you want, if you want to be sick, like nothing in life that's great has ever been achieved by being passive. So um, I, I like being aggressive. The green light special is that basically what we talk about with our philosophy in the green light special is educate the players every single day. So going back to daily routines and habits, 
and then create the environment where they can thrive and then empower them to make the decisions necessary. So basically giving them green lights and understanding, hey, this is a good time to go. This is not a good time to go. Um, basically having fearless smarts is the way I look at it. Um, understanding there's windows of opportunity in the game where it says, hey, I can, I can steal right here. This is a window that I need to take advantage of. And then that's going to open up. That just falls into the system of scoring runs. I mean, really everybody's hitting system should be how do we score the most runs? And that's what it is at South Mountain. How do we score the most runs? And we look at it in three phases. There's the hit tool where we just absolutely rake, drive balls in the gap. We would love to do that always, but there's days where there's really good pitchers and you can't do that. So you have to work within a system. And when we work within a system, that's our offensive system. And that's, you know, bunning, hitting and running, um, safety squeeze, um, slash and run, these types of things where you can manufacture runs when you can't just drive balls in the gap. So you've got number one hit, you got number two work within an offense. And then number three, a big piece of that whole entire cog is base running. And that's where the green light, uh, green light special system comes in. And it's really create the environment, educate your players, and then empower them to make the right decisions. Because when you empower them, when you educate them, you've given them enough reps because the mother of skill all right, is reps. So if you give a lot of reps by working on it every single day, then you give them the power to make the right decisions, to be aggressive. Then you take the handcuffs off of those guys and then they react faster because they've done it a lot. And then they know they have the freedom to do it. And then they know when it doesn't work out, sometimes their coach isn't going to jump down their throat and go, dude, what are you doing? That suck. Why are you getting thrown out? You know, um, because when you do that, then they become passive again. Like, uh, you know, they, you know, most of our players, they think the world of us and they want, they want us to, you know, they, they want, they want to have, a, they want to make us happy as coaches is what I'm trying to get at. And so like, if we jump down their throat, then they're going to like, ah, they get passive. So I encourage guys, guys will get thrown out and be like, Hey, just be aggressive, but let's learn from it. Okay. Like maybe it'll be like, Hey, what did you see right there? Like we've had guys get thrown out. And at first, like in the past, when I was young, I'd be like, that was stupid. What were we doing? And instead of me going to jump the kid in the dugout, I would pull him to the side and be like, hey, what did you see right there? What did you have? And he was like, ah, coach, he, you know, 85% of the time he was going to be a two-look pickup home guy right there, and the shortstop wasn't holding, so I thought I could get a better secondary and go, and he hasn't done an inside move at all, um, you know, and, you know, I got caught that one time. I'm like, you know, he, he came up he had with a plan. all of those things. I'm like, right, he had a plan. He was thinking. Good job. You know what? I tip my cap to the other team doing a good job defensively, you know? So, um, but really it, it, it's just about, you know, being aggressive and, and taking advantage of, you know, really defensive trying to play catch. We talk about pressure burst pipes. We want to put as much pressure on as possible. And it's a lot more than just stealing bases. It's a base running system of, of being smart on the bases, you know, being understanding how to go first to third, understanding dirt ball reads, understanding reads from second base. There's so many reads that get screwed up from second base and that cost runs. So every game, I think we either lose a run or gain a run by good or bad base run. Every single game, it's either somebody, you know, screws up on the bases or somebody had a really heads up play and they were able to, they were able to score, you know, because, um, you know, we worked on it and they, they got really good at it. And, 
you know, I think the biggest thing is this, just like anything else, like if we don't work on it every day, and I think what happens in a lot of, and this is what happened at South Mountain. We used to work on base running back in 2014 for 45 minutes once a month. Okay. And then we'd get to the spring and we would screw something up and be like, dude, what are you doing? You don't know how to base run. Like, you know, we worked on that back on September 13th. You don't remember that? Well, no, nobody remembers that, you know, like who remembers working on something September 13th, you know? So like these things got to happen often. There's uh, something I was reading the other day about um, the, I think it's called the forgetting curve. And it's basically how we need to map out our practice plans and whatever our content is that we're teaching, we need to teach it multiple days and plan that out in our system. And we've kind of done that within our base training system, our schedule throughout the entire fall. Um, I, I showed that in 2018 when I was speaking at ABCA on, on the green light special, that little schedule that I had and just really trying to map it out and work on base running 10 minutes every single day and, 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 and figure out different ways to teach it, you know, from a video standpoint, from a, a written test standpoint from a um, them teaching it. They're going to learn it the most when they teach it. If they do not know how to teach, if they can't teach what you're trying to teach them, they don't, they haven't learned it. They do not know it. All right. And that, that's a punch in the face for us guys. Sometimes as coaches is if our players can't teach it, then they don't know it and you haven't taught it. All right. So that's what I try to do a lot of times is like, okay, JD, you're up today. You're going to teach how we're going to do a, you know, a delay still off of a left-handed pitcher, teach it to the guys. What do you got? And if they can teach it, then they know it. But I know if they can't teach it, then I haven't taught it well enough and I need to go back and teach it or find different ways to teach it. And that's, that's the biggest thing. If we can teach different ways to teach the same thing, it'll start sticking better. All right. They see it in different ways. Something else clicks. All right. So if that's video, if that's handwritten test, if that's them teaching it, if it's one of our other coaches saying it, if it's um, game-like situation, you know, there's so many other multiple ways that we can teach it, but you got to teach it every single day because if the eyes don't see it, if the eyes haven't seen it enough, it's not going to process in the brain. And then from a synapsis standpoint, our neuron-to-neuron connections, our synapses are not going to move fast. Therefore, our body's not going to react fast. And then, oh, then the player screws up and then we're pissed but we haven't taught it enough. So it's a coach's problem, you know? So we got to do a better job of creating an environment, educating better, and then empower the player to be great, basically. Yeah. I like the three-step process for sure. Um, when you talk about teaching it, are you, are you mostly teaching like, um, like moves in the pitcher uh, or certain, like our stance on it is like, are you old school, new, new school? Or are you kind of doing those? Do you have a hybrid too? Are you, is it, or just, a, is it a mold of all of those things? All of those things. Um, so we'll break down pitchers, pitchers' tendencies. Um, you know, where do they move? Is it front, front heel first? Is it front knee first? Is it front hip first? Is it front shoulder first? Do they have a breathing mechanism where they'll take a deep breath and then they'll come set and go right away? Do they fall into rhythms and patterns? I mean, we're creatures of habit. That's human nature. So we'll break down those tendencies. We'll go over, um, we work on leads and secondaries a lot. We'll do that within our stretch program sometimes. Um, we do base running every day for 10 minutes. Um, now you talk about base running as in like live reads, you know, like do like a four basis kind of thing. Yep. Yep. So we'll do, um, so we'll do every day 
So we basically go stretch routine, all right? And we have a lot of different stretch stretches within our stretch routine that implement um, sprint form and sprint mechanics and trying to get faster and have reads off pitchers. Um, we'll also implement like touching the front part of the bag, getting better leads, you know, work on our leads in the stretch routine because those are reps that we can get, you know, um, they'll go play catch and then we'll do base running. So we're actually going to flip that in the future where we're going to go stretch and then straight into base running and then play catch. Um, but anyway, we do it every single day for 10 minutes. It just depends on what we want to do that day. It could be um, dirt ball reads. It could be, you know, really the first month when we map it out, a lot of it is just teaching, like, how do we get our primary lead? How do we get our secondary lead? What are the different types of stills that we can have? So we can have like your, you know, you can have your just straight still old school lead. You can have your momentum lead, which is what everybody calls new school lead or tally talks about new school lead. I just call it a momentum lead or a vault lead all right, where we're just moving a little bit. We can do the creep where we're just met, um, we're just moving just a little bit at a time so our feet don't stop. We can do um, the lean still where we lean into our front knee and try to get rhythm with the pitcher actually going to the plate. You saw Ricky Henderson do that a lot back in the day. So if you look up any YouTube videos of Ricky, you'll see him lean. And really, you know, me and Tallarico have talked a lot over the last four or five years. And, you know, we do the ABCA hot stove base running. Um, the last couple of years and me and Tally just went back and forth on a lot of, a lot of thoughts and, you know, what we believe it and, and you can look at it from a science standpoint is it, it's kind of crazy to think that we try to steal all the time from a static standpoint, from a, 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 a non-movement and then go like just from like a sprinting standpoint, because you don't move as fast if you are moving a little bit, moving is better than not moving. You're going to accelerate your muscles firing faster by moving. When you go into that first movement of that prep or that first step that you're going to take for your still. So we need to be, we need to learn to move and start waking those muscles up, priming those muscles to fire and move fast. And so it's kind of funny to me, and, and, and Tally's the one that brought this up to me. He's like, I think it's kind of funny that we, we've always done it the old school way, or the old school still where we're static. It is more safe, though. So, and that plays a role in the psychology piece. Yeah, that's what it is, you know? right. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, anyway, there's different thoughts on that. But, um, yeah, there's multiple ways. There's multiple ways to still. We, we touch on all of those. Within that environment and educating, what I try to do is teach one thing each day, don't do more than one. Um, Nick Winkleman talks about like our brain and what it can process. And there's so many scientific studies done on this too, is I'll, I'll give you this story. And I stole this from Nick Winkleman. He was talking about Einstein and Einstein went and was working with a golf instructor one time. And he's, he's taking these swings and the golf instructor is cueing him like three, four, five different body movements, you know, as he's swinging and Einstein's trying to hit and he's like, you know, his brain is overloaded. It kind of looks like Chris Farley on like, what is that <laughs> on an old movie where he's pulling out his hair? He's like, I can't, you know, I can't, I can't handle this. My brain's about to explode. Right. Right. So Einstein is like, 
hey, you're trying to give me all four or five different types of movements right now. My brain can only handle one. So what Einstein did was he took three golf balls and he said, all right, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to throw these golf balls at you and I want you to catch them. So he, he just threw them. No, he actually, what he did was picked up three golf balls and he just tossed them to the golf instructor. Didn't tell him what he was doing. Tossed, tossed them to this golf instructor. And like, so the golf instructor's like trying to catch all three, you know, and one hits off of his chest. He catches one, the other one falls down. And, you know, the golf instructor kind of looks at Einstein like, dude, what are you doing? And he's like, why didn't you catch all three of those? And he's like, I wasn't ready. There's a lot of things going on, you know? And he was like, yeah, that's the same thing that's going on in my head as you're trying to cue me on trying to figure out this golf swing. You're telling me five different body movements that I need to make. My brain can't process all of those things. So knowing that, and really our brain can only remember three things like within a segment. So if we have anything that we're talking about, I just leave it at three things at most, but usually I just try to do what's one thing I can touch on. What's one cue that I can touch on and not try to overload the brain. Because when we overload the brain with words, that's like fog on the brain. And then our body's not going to move and it's going to paralyze the body because we're trying to break all of these things down in the brain. That's what happens when we face 90 miles an hour and we've got coat, you know, super coach over there in the dugout going, Hey, you know what? Get, get your arm up, get your arms back, do this, get your foot down, you know, all of these different things. And like, coach, you know, that guy's trying to throw four different pitches. All right. And one of them's 90 miles an hour. Okay. And I've never seen that for the first time. You know, this is my first time I've ever seen somebody throw over 82 and, you know, and we got super coach, you know, saying 14 different things like that's going to correct it in the moment. That dude's mm -hmm. scared to death that that guy's probably going to hit him, you know? So like there's all these psychology things that happen, but what Winkleman talks about is if you look at the brain and how, when us coaches are giving cues and think about the brain inside the brain, there's a flashlight. Okay. And let's act like, let's act like we're in a dark room. Okay. And the dark rooms our brain and there's a flashlight in this room and we're shining the flashlight across the room and we are, you know, we put it on the bed and then we put it on the lamppost and then we put, we put it on, you know, the bedroom door or whatever. And we're, we, we have a chair. So we've got to think about our brains and what they can process like that flashlight, that flashlight can only look at that one thing at that time. Sometimes when we're trying to give five cues in the row, it's like that flashlight. It looks like it's a, you know, we're at a rave concert and there's all kinds of lights going all over the place. We can't figure out what the hell's going on. And then we wonder why, oh, you don't remember what I taught you, you know, September 13th. And when I gave you 17 different cues, like, no coach, super coach. No, we don't, you know? So like, you know, and I've, and I've had to figure out all of those things the hard way. Right. And I've just learned from some of the best coaches of that's what they do. And I'm constantly trying to get better at that. I'll catch myself doing some of those things every once in a while. And then I'll have to slap myself and go, Nope, get them shut up. You know, like you got to get, Nope, let, let's bring it back. Um, so I asked a lot of questions now in our environment, when I'm talking about environment, I just ask a lot of questions. what did you see? What do you think about? Why'd you go there? Um, do you think you could have done something better? Um, and, and, and create some self-awareness and evaluation process for those guys. And when, when they start questioning and can answering questions, they start figuring it out on their own. So it's kind of got a discovery. That's awesome. I agree. I've definitely been around that path and learned my lesson as well and keep trying to remember that lesson for sure. Only to be able to do so much. 
Um, you know, I love your buckets and you talked about your buckets of, um, you know, your different leads and all like that too. Will you bucket like a, like pitchers? I got basically pitchers tendencies. Like you said, when you're like, like you just said, Hey, he's the lefty that's going to be leaning or he's, is he like the, the pause guy? Like, do you, will you bucket those two where like you have like a, you know, like, Hey, this guy's a this, like almost like a scattering point. Like, look, we think this guy's a, you know, will you bucket them? Yeah. So, um, if you look at, there's a couple of different, um, YouTube videos. Well, the ABCA podcast or the ABCA, um, talk in 2018. If somebody wants to look that up, they can look at that. Yeah. Um, I've got a lot of that information in there. Also USA baseball clinic that we did a couple of weeks ago. Um, I've got, I've got a talk and it gives a lot of that information, like details. Yeah. Um, that, so people can dive into those two as well. Good. Yeah. We'll um, just bring, we'll just take them to that. So you said it was the, the 2018, wasn't it? Yeah, 2018 ABCA in Texas, um, green light special talk on the youth clinic stage. Mm-hmm. And then if um, like the USA baseball clinic that they've been doing with Bartman, Bartman's been bringing in a lot of guys. And I talked about our green light special system through there and gave a lot of details like they can dive into that. And if anybody's got questions, they can definitely reach out to me. But, yeah, that's how we'll do it. We'll 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 bucket those guys. Um, we have two guys in the dugout and that's kind of their role for that day. Like if they're not starting or playing then they have we've got two different um, stolen base sheets and, and we basically write down everything that the, the pitcher's doing that day and so um, they both have stopwatches and so it's not just them trying to give us information so we can figure out when to steal but it's also usually I put my you know two best base runners that aren't playing that day on those sheets so when they actually do get in the game they know what to look for or maybe the courtesy runner because we have courtesy runners for our catchers in our league so like we put our courtesy runner on that. So he knows exactly when he goes in, like the pitchers are one, three, five to the plate, the catchers, you know, on average a two Oh five, he's inaccurate. He doesn't do well on blocking. You know, he's got all of this quantitative and qualitative data already that we've watched and maybe we've scouted before we played these guys, but actually in game too. And then we blanket all those guys. And then I actually have those two guys that are on the chart. Like I'll talk every once in a while when we come in from defense, and say, hey, this is what I'm seeing, or do it individually. This is what I'm seeing with these guys. So try to look for this window of opportunity. But I try to have those two players, like, hey, when these guys come in, you start spread the knowledge, spread the news. All right. What are these guys doing? All right. Hey, these guys are, you know, on a breaking ball. Is he one, four, five to the plate? Um, he doesn't like to throw his breaking ball. And when he's behind in the count, you know, every two, one count, he's a fastball. He's a slide step and, you know, whatever the tendency is, you know, so we just try to constantly communicate that. Um, not just me. I want the players communicating that. Absolutely. Um, so that's kind of how we do it. Cool, man. That's awesome. You know, it was saying the proofs in the pudding, your results are speaking for themselves that your system works. You know, it's just the, the feedback you're getting is, you know, truly works. You have a great communicator and, you know, your system works. So I would definitely highly encourage anybody to definitely go check out the, 2018 green light special as well as the uh the virtual uh, usa baseball clinic so you talk about people uh getting in touch with me like what what would be the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to have any questions for you yeah um you know obviously twitter active on twitter a lot at gillum 13 um email anybody can email me tyler.gillum at southmountaincc.edu it's the longest email in the history of emails um you can reach out to me, shoot me a text, shoot me a phone call, uh, 602-370-7649. Um, I'll get back to you. Um, yeah, and then I just started my website about 
six months ago, eight months ago. It's GillumBaseball.com. Uh, it's definitely, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to make that sucker better. We're going to add a lot of information here in the next two months on Greenlight Special. We've done a lot of our infill camps through there um, in the fall. We do a massive amount of infill camps. I've got my infill camp is called All You Can Eat Infill Camps. It's three hours of intense uh, infill development. It's all infilled. It, that's probably my number one passion over anything. You know, um, a lot of people kind of know me for a little bit of base, base running probably most than anything, but my real love is infill play. Like that's what, that's my niche. That's the best thing that I, I, I'm at uh, as a coach is coaching infielders. So um, we've really just tried to blow that up and, and really impact a lot of infielders in, in, in Phoenix. And we're going to do that with the bananas this summer too, as well. So we're going to come out with some individual infill camps with the bananas. Um, and yeah, so um, we've got college players at those it, it's, it's mapped out like, it's three hours of go. So um, throwing program, our daily vitamins, which are short hop progressions. Um, we're going to talk about what all professional players do. We're going to break down what you're doing and help you to develop to get to the next level. And, uh, so those are fun. We've, we've done those with just high school teams where high school programs will reach out. Um, so all of those things are, um, you know, some things that we're doing. But reach out any way you can. If I can help you uh, in any way, I'd love to. Yeah, man. I look. So I'm. I'm a. I love that infield as well, man. I'm a pretty big infield guy. I played infield in college, and uh, you know, it's just definitely a, definitely a passion of mine too. It's something that you don't see very often, and you know, defense doesn't get. Uh, that's how I was able to play. You know, I, I could yeah. love it. You know, hitting wise, I had to work my tail off to hit just to hit a look. You know, same and, boat, uh, brother. Same uh, boat. Man, I, I could. You know, that's I. But I loved. I mean, I, I would. I would go out and. I would love to hit and take ground balls like right now. Like what I, what I really miss about the game is going out and taking in and out, you know, like, yep. and just loving that and just feeling that and, and, and doing that. So um, your daily vitamins, that's one thing guys I love since I've, you know, kind of followed you. And one other thing I love to hear that is that daily vitamin. So are you basically just doing, you know, you're just doing your uh, hops, hop, hop progressions, you know, you're doing like a lot of uh, like knee work, glove work kind of things. Yeah, so it, it starts with what I call vision drills, which is our knee work, and then we'll do a lot of dry work from there, um, a lot of hand work, and then we do all of these with partners. Then we'll um, stand up, and we'll do like a conventional right at you. We'll do a forehand rake, a backhand rake. We'll move on those two as well. Um, inside that, we will do um, we do long hops and short hops and adjust from those. We'll do a forehand feed and a backhand feed within that uh, daily vitamin. We'll do a, what I call a waterfall hop. So the ball that like kind of gets chopped off the ground, right? In game, it would be the ball that gets chopped off the ground and goes up high and then you got to go pick the short hop. Um, we'll do that. I just call it a waterfall hop. So we'll, we'll throw it up and you'll have to go pick the short hop. It could be a forehand or backhand in that scenario. We'll also do a um, tabletop. Uh, ball where the ball is chopped again okay like in game it would be chopped and then you have to catch it at the top and transfer it don't bring it down past your waist so we have all of those scenarios mapped into our short hop progressions and so again I think the mother of skill is reps so we try to rep all of those movement patterns as much as we possibly can and so that's kind of in what I call a block form all right, it's pretty simple. We know what we're getting. We're just ingraining those movement patterns. And then as we progress closer to the spring, we'll make those more random where it'll be like forehand, backhand, in front, long hop, short hop. So they have to adjust 
Um, and I, and I love those environments where you have to figure it out. I love to train ugly, what I call train ugly. Cause I think that's you getting out of your comfort zone. When we get out of our comfort zone, we learn the most. And, um, a lot of times I think in baseball or just in life in general, a lot of us think like when we stay in our comfort zone, it feels good. We get this fuzzy feeling and, and it, yeah, I'm doing a bunch of reps, but it's not intentional. It's not deliberate. A lot of us are on autopilot in those comfort zone um, areas. So I like to get out of that comfort zone, train randomly um, where there's decision-making and it's tough and it's uncomfortable sometimes. And then we learn from that. It's the best way to learn, but it's not pretty. And we got to know that as coaches too. Sometimes it's not pretty and that's okay because we're going to get better two weeks down the road because we're learning from that instead of just, you know, in this nice, you know, area where, you know, it looks good and we're a hundred percent. That's the question we got to ask as coaches. If my guy is hitting a line drive in BP 10 out of 10 times, is my BP hard enough? Is this really getting him better? If this guy is catching, you know, 20 out of 20 ground balls in a row, is this really going to get, is, is, you know, is this hard enough? You know, um, is this preparing him for the game? Because I look at it a lot of times in our environments is, you know, the game, I look at the game as kind of Mount Everest. And I think a lot of times what we're doing is training guys on like a treadmill in a fitness center in 70 degree, degree AC on three mile an hour with no incline on this treadmill and they got the TV up and they're watching sports center with their headphones in and it's comfortable. And then we go, Hey, you know what? Now tomorrow we're going to go climb Mount Everest. You ready? It's going to be cold. All right. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a lot of wind. It, there's going to be a lot of things pop out, you know, like there's going to be a huge incline, you know? So that, that's how I can kind of compare it to like, we need to quit training our guys on a treadmill all the time in this good, feel good environment where we need to, we need to get them on that mountain a little bit more and train ugly. It's a great analogy, man. It's a great analogy. Another way of showing you're a great communicator. Uh, is that something that, um, well, so think about the infield Zoom call you're a co-host on, um, which is awesome, by the way. Um, they've enjoyed it for many weeks. Um, is that something, you, what's, the, what's the biggest takeaway you've taken away from that? Simplicity. Um, you know, you got Perry Hill on, one of the best infield coaches in the world. You got Marty Lees on, one of the best infield coaches in the world. We've got, you know, the the other co-host on the, on the call, it's me, Clay Cox. We're the only two college guys. The other four guys are, are pro guys. And, you know, we, we started having these conversations on Fridays, just kind of randomly like, Hey, let's get some really good info guys together. And let's just, you know, start, start talking shop. And it was really just kind of free flow and just like, Hey, what are your thoughts on all of these things? But really just kind of like around the campfire. And that's kind of how we started the infield happy hour was like, you know, I don't want to do it where it's like the, you know, it's structured out really. Like I want to, I want it to be more organic and we can kind of just hang out and, and be boys. And, and if we want to ask a random question, we can ask a random question or, you know, so like, that's kind of how it all started. And, you know, some people wanted to join in on those conversations said, Hey, let's do an infield happy hour. We'll make it a little bit loose and um, create an infield toast. And uh, yeah, you know, like just, hang out with the boys really. And so it's been really cool. I enjoy hanging out with those guys. I've learned so much being in that group and learning from those guys over the last like seven weeks now. Yeah. So what's one way that you're being able to simplify your process and how you're teaching infield? You know, 
I think having one-liners, that, that's the biggest thing. Uh, the systems, like we all should do a better job as coaches, and I'm still trying to figure out the best way um, to create these systems. You know, I think our infield system and our, our green light system is, 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 is getting really, really good, and, and people are starting to lock in on that. Like, I mean, players, you know, they, they can really understand it. Um, so we just need to do a better job of creating a system. And a lot of those systems, like anytime you can create stories, analogies, and create one-liners, create vision verbs, those things are going to stick out. Those are going to create retention. The forgetful curve is not going to happen as much. And, and players are just going to be better. And so um, creating those systems, that language is really just tell more stories create a system where, where they can do it every single day. They know how to do it. They can teach it. And, and they, they basically can, you know, if you're not there practice at practice one day, the, one of the big dogs is what I call some of our best base runners is uh, one of the big dogs can teach it. You know, um, I don't have to be there to teach it. So anyway, that's kind of what systems look like, but from an infield standpoint, catch play every single day, most important thing, 15 minutes game, like no wasted reps, Increase body awareness, accuracy, velocity, um, throw from every arm angle. That's what our catch play looks like. If, if that's the only thing we could do every day before we play catch, I feel like my guys are going to be prepared for the game. And that's how I look at our catch play. If the only thing I can do today practice-wise is play catch and then I have to go play a baseball game, are my guys going to be prepared from a defensive standpoint? And I believe our guys uh, will be. Um, and you can ask our guys that our guys are like, man, our, our, our catch plays intense. It's not just like go out there and get your arm loose. And then the, those daily routines and habits are daily vitamins, short hop progressions every day, that system, those two things are huge. And then we've got other areas that, you know, other drills that we do along the way, but really it's just trying to make it more game like train ugly, get prepared, be tough, be relentless, um, um, overcome adversity, be a self, uh, an energy giver, be selfless, those types of things. 100%, man. Yeah, so I, I think it's the, I've definitely taken away from that is even just knowing, because it's a conversation I've even started to have with players about like challenging themselves during practice, but that's something I guess I'm learning too, like, you know, the block versus the random and kind of like the continuum of what BP looks like or the continuum of skill acquisition, the continuum of you know, yes, you've got now basically you've, you've repped this skill enough. Now we're going to randomize it, you know, yes. and the conversations of like having a good fungal hitter. Like that's one of the things I've taken away too of infield. You know, it was like having there, you know, people would, they get mad about the guy that can't hit the best, can't hit the best fungo. And that's, it's, it's dirt. It's like you said, it's ugly, you know, and like the, I'd have much better appreciation for that now too. You know, that's kind of, I guess what I've kind of seen too yeah. from him. You've, you've seen a ton of players from all over. I always kind of like to t see about this question is your perspective on the best players. Like what traits have you seen in the best players through all your time at South Mountain and all these other collegiate leagues? Um, what have you seen in those best, the, the top players? They're internally motivated. There's a big vision goal in there that really drives them. They don't ever have to be disciplined. The guys that we've had the most, if I tell them something one time, they remember it. They discipline themselves, go to class, work harder than everybody. Uh, they hold themselves to a higher standard. They want to know more. They ask questions. They hate to lose. Those are the things that pop into my head. And 
right away. Um, from a daily routine standpoint, that's what I've studied from the most successful people in every, in every environment, in any sport, business, whatever it is, it's, it's daily, it's daily habits every single day. And like the one that I saw the most that always stands out. And I tell my infielders all the time is my buddy, Josue Pele, I played with him at Seminole. He was the bullpen catcher and like translator and VP thrower for the Blue Jays for three years. And so I got to get on field and watch the Blue Jays hit BP when it was like, you know, Donaldson and Troy Tulowitzki um, and Pilar and Jose Bautista, right when they were raking, right, right, right in that area where they were one of the best offenses in the league. And I got to get on field and I got to watch it and we're talking about a bunch of things. And then I'm watching Troy Tulowitzki. So I, I did this three times. I watched them. I got, a, got to get on the field three times and I watched Troy Tulowitzki take infield before or during pregame um, before every game. And it was the same routine. And I watched that and I was like, man, like he's really good. And, you know, um, I, I love watching those guys and what it looks like. And I, after the game, I asked Pele, I was like, Hey, tell me, tell me about Tulo. Why's Tulo so good? And he's like, Hey, you know, the play that everybody um, like it, on baseball tonight or sports center, like he makes the web gym and it's in the six hole and he catches it, throws it across his body. And everybody says it's a web gym. He said, he makes that before every game twice before every game. So 162 games, he does that play twice before every game. So that play isn't a web gym. That play is routine. And I'll tell you, and I said, I noticed, I noticed that he pretty much has the same infield routine. He pretty much takes somewhere between 20 and 25 ground balls. And he takes care of every ground ball that could happen in a game. And he said, yep, he does that before every single game. Like, obviously there's every once in a while there's days that he takes off, but it's like infield in, like he takes a couple right, left, starts moving back. And it's like, um, you know, halfway, then moves all the way back. He'll start turning double plays left, you know, uh, forehand rake, backhand rake, um, different throws, different arm angles. Then he'll start throwing across the infield. Then he'll make plus plays to end. And so I tell our infielders that, and that's what I've noticed for a lot of the better infielders is like, man, they want those reps. Like you don't ever have to get on those guys. Like you don't ever have to remind them that, Hey, you need to do this routine. It's like something that's already built into those guys. And, and the other thing is their mindset is completely different than everybody else. Like they, they know they're going to succeed there. I think some of the players that struggle are guys that second guess their self a lot. And I did this. And that's probably was my hold back as a player. And I could have been a better hitter is like the best players that I know. It's not like, there's no question they're going to succeed. It's just like, Oh, they're, you know, I'm going to just overcome that. They, they completely imagine and visualize ways of succeeding all the time. So I think that's so important. There's never this question of like, oh, I suck or, I'm, you know, I, you know, you know, poor me. Like, I don't know. They're, they have a different thought process than, um, you know, those things might come. Those things might come up and, and, and show up in their brain at some point, but they never talk about it and they never show it. So it might be just their positive self-talk, which I think is really important, which we talk a lot in Growth Toolbox. It's just what's your positive self-talk? And I think that's the difference. John Gordon, actually, another John Gordon story. Love yeah. some John Gordon. John Gordon yeah, told a story about a guy that did double Ironmans. 
All right. So the Ironman, all right. Like first off thinking about running three miles for most of us is like, that's you know, the worst thing in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and then you talk about running an Ironman and we talked about team Hoyt and the guy doing it with this paraplegic son. And now you got John Gordon talking to a guy about doing double Ironman back to back Ironmans. And John Gordon asked him like, how do you do that? Like how, what, what triggers, what, what happens with you to be able to do that? And his feedback was when I learned to quit listening to myself and I started talking to myself, then that's where the, the flip switched for me. You know, like I, I had a different mind, like I, I could do different things when I quit listening to my mind say, Oh, you can't do it anymore. And I started talking to myself like, this is easy. One more step. No problem. We got another mile. This is easy. Like um, just your positive self-talk If this isn't that bad. It could be a lot worse. Um, I've got this, I'm tough, you know, whatever that your self-talk is, I think so important. And I think that's what, you know, I think that's what the elite do. In my infield, daily yep. vitamin, daily vitamins, what I, I used to, I call them every day. Like I, so I call mine every day. Yep. And then like, you know, there's a couple people like it, just they get kind of like daily vitamins is more uplifting and every yeah. day, every day seems a little bit kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so like, I just like how that's, you know, we're all about the words and how it is. So daily vitamins is like, it's, it's uplifting, you know? And I, I like that. I really have, that's one thing I've definitely stolen from you. And I'll be sure to stole it from somebody else. So that's, that's how it always works. You know, yeah. daily vitamin, we got to take it every day if we're going to live. So yep. uh, I just, I just love that. that yep. Every day is kind of like that grind. When, and I, I'm not a, I'm not a grind. I'm not, I'm not one to talk about grinding because I love it so much that I don't think we grind at things that we love and have a passion for. So I feel like the, the daily vitamin is it's like, it's just a, it's just a great way to talk about it. And that's what, that's what, that's what I love about talking to guys and finding different ways to say it. Like, well, you were talking about simplicity too, um, from Infield you as TJ uh, talked about putting your hand. Uh, I don't know if you, I, I tweeted out like, how he talked about shaking hands. Like that's where your hands need to be. Cause I'm always, I always tell kids like a big triangle, you know what I mean? And have kids visualize the triangle. If you have a big long yeah. triangle, that's where your hands are. Yep. I was like, well, if you put your glove down, if you can't see a triangle, you're, so, but him saying you should be at handshaking length, you know, like I thought yep. that that simple cue like that handshake length, handshake length, you know, you could, yep. you could drill that and, and have it pretty like you, what you were saying, uh, your vision verb is phenomenal. Yep. Yeah, that's what we talk about. Like that, that is actually one of our cues with our middle infielders. When we talk about feeding second base is shake his hand, shake his hand. So like we actually, that's how we practice it. We, we catch like the first couple of days I'm teaching it, we go shake his hand. And so they'll, what they'll do is feed the ball and then they'll walk over and shake the guy's hand. Mm -hmm. So just kind of like, just trying to get it to stick, man. Just trying to get that retention piece over a long period of time. Great talk. I just I can't thank you enough, man, for your time, buddy. Hey, I appreciate um, you having me on, Trey. This was good, man. I always enjoy talking with you and, and talking shop and rapping a little bit, man. So, like, yeah. awesome what you're doing. Um, love that you did a podcast and uh, keep doing it, man. Keep keep spreading the good word, brother. You're definitely pushing the game in the right direction. I'm glad to, you know, be able to have this conversation with you, man. I appreciate you, man. I'm humbled that you had me on. I'm, I'm glad we got to talk shop again, brother. Me too, man. Me too. This is my longest podcast. And you could just see we just kept on getting through everything. One thing would lead to the other. We tried to thought we were, you know, just a tremendous. Uh,
a great conversation that I was able to have with Coach Gillum. And, um, you know, I think it's a multiple multiple list, and there's so many different things in it, all the way from, you know, like I said, his growth toolbox and how they're building better men there, the mentality that it takes to become a, an elite player. They're ditting that at South Mountain, that's for sure, and I'm sure some of that's coming over to the Bananas. Um, but, you know, Coach Gillum's a tremendous communicator, tremendous leader, and as a player, as a guy that I would love to be able to send players to, that's for sure. And, you know, if they, again, if you have any anything that you'd like to reach out to him, please reach out to him on Twitter at Gillum13. You can email him at tyler.gillum at southmountaincc.edu. He shared his cell phone number on there as well. I think it's a testament to his how he's willing to share. And as well as you can reach out and catch what he's doing on his website at gillumbaseball.com. Again, please go ahead and share this episode. No, it was a long one, but it was filled with a tremendous amount of information that I know I just love. I know the things I'm going to be taking away from this is it reinforcing the hero highlight hardship. That was one thing that really came out with 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 what you can do in the vulnerability you can create within your team and what that does. Um, really reemphasize that for me. Um, his green light special and how I, how to be how I can be more intentional with my base running and how I'm teaching that, bucketing those things, and making sure guys have a, an awareness of all the different tendencies of pitchers, as well as just the the daily vitamins, the everyday work that um, that I've done and, and had in the past. And it's a great way to get it, get it put. And it's just another valuable way to, to, to see, you know, are you doing um, what's best for kids, you know, and you can, you can, bounce it off a guy like Coach Gillum, and that's what I love about this and the opportunity that I have to do it. Um, I just love his prehab stuff versus rehab stuff. You know, are we able to take care of a lot of stuff up front by building better men so that way well, you are not have to be so reactive to so many discipline problems? You know, prehabbing with, okay, what are your goals? And then every time kids aren't having daily actions to those things, you can remind them of their goals. So it's such a valuable piece of a coaching. It's a, such a valuable way to hold kids accountable and make them own what they're doing. Either you have to change what you said here and change your goals, or you need to change what you're doing, how you're living. I think that's a great way to hold people accountable. His vulnerability just speaks, speaks volumes. You can just hear it come out of me. Very authentic, very vulnerable. I think that's more what we need in our game. What's more what we need with our players. That's like what these... Players now need, they know everything, they know a lot through social media, and I think the vulnerability piece is big with being a great communicator and being a great coach, the vulnerability piece. So um, a ton of things, I, again, I just want you to thank you hanging around here. We're nearly hitting a two-hour mark, and this is one of my favorite ones, um, and just was a ton of ton of value information. I hope you, hope you enjoyed it, and if you need anything from me, do you know how to reach me? at treytcobb at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter. Just DM me. DMs are always open at Coach3Cobb on Twitter, and I'll be happy to answer and do everything I can to help. But please share the episode. Share as many people as you can, hopefully to continue to bring good content to everyone. So for now, can't wait till next week. Hope you guys have a great week. Keep getting better.